Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. So today I have back on the PCOS Diva podcast, one of my favorite experts on PCOS, and that is Dr. Felice Gersh. And if you haven't already checked out our other two podcasts together, I want you to do that. It's podcast number 15, we talk about inflammation, and podcast number 26, we talk about gut health. But today we're going to be talking about Dr. Felice's brand new book which I read last night, and I absolutely love it. it is, it's just really a complete guide to addressing the symptoms of PCOS and how women with the disorder can lead happy and healthier lives. Dr. Gersh is an award-winning OBGYN. She specializes in all aspects of women's health. She's the founder and director of Integrative Medical Group of Irvine in Irvine, California. And her practice provides comprehensive health care for women, combining the best evidence-based therapies from conventional, naturopathic, and holistic medicine. So welcome, Dr. Gersh. Oh, thank you, Amy. It's wonderful to be back and join you here today. And I just want everybody to know that the name of your book is PCOS SOS, A Gynecologist's Lifeline to Naturally Restore Your Rhythms, Hormones, and Happiness, and that is available um, in Kindle and softcover on Amazon. That's right. Thank you. So, you know, I loved, as I mentioned, I loved your book. It's truly a complete guide. And I think what I like about it so much is you approach it from sort of that in- integrative functional approach. And also, I don't know if people know, but you also have PCOS and you've been able to overcome your PCOS um, with many of the the lifestyle um, recommendations that you give us in your book. Yes, absolutely. I always try to walk the talk. I never want to be full of hot air. So I, like everyone, is something of a self-hacker. So I do try everything I recommend. And I have had my own journey. Like all of us have had our own very complex and sometimes heartwarming and sometimes heartbreaking journeys as PCOS women. And my own started way back when I was a teenager 
and my periods were very irregular and into my 20s. And then I went a couple of years when I was in medical school, I didn't have a single period and I had terrible acne. And I didn't understand why I had this acne because I thought I'm just not cleaning my face well enough. I thought it was about dirt. I didn't understand anything. And I, I scrubbed my face so hard and I used alcohol because <laughs> I thought, well, that'll kill whatever is bad or something. It would like sterilize my face. And my skin was cracking around the pimples. And I went to the one of the most um, respected and very renowned gynecologists at my university-based medical school. And I said, Dr. So-and-so, I think something is really wrong. I haven't had a period in two years and I can't get rid of my acne. And he said, I don't know what you're complaining about because no women like having periods. Well, you know, and so just go on birth control pills, you know, and I said, well, I want to have kids sometime. And he said, well, worry about it then. You know, it's like, okay, so I had to go on my own journey. And I self-diagnosed myself with PCOS at, um, at one point, and it became a passion of mine, especially as I saw in my practice, the increasing prevalence in the population of women. Of, of PCOS and also it seemed to be more severe. It's like I was sort of like the front runner of, of this crowd of women behind me coming with terrible cases of PCOS, which I didn't really see in the very beginning years of my training and practice. It seemed over the years, more and more women were suffering. It's like, okay, what is going on here? More women are really having the worst cases of PCOS. Something is happening. And so it set me on my other journey of figuring it out, of finding out what is happening, what's the story behind all of this PCOS, and then what can we do to really help myself, my patients, and you know my relatives, because we know that there's a, fam a familial kind of incidence of PCOS. Yeah, and, and we're going to get into um, kind of your thoughts about why PCOS is, um, you know, such a, a crisis right now. Um, but first, I want to talk a little bit about the, you had just mentioned sort of the family connection. And you wrote this book with your daughter. And uh, I love, I'm going to pull out this little quote, which I love. She says, Dr. Gersh may not be your mom, but now you have all of her advice here in one place. And, <laughs> and thank you. I, 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 um, I read the electronic version or the Kindle version last night, and I honestly, I can't wait to get the, the book in my, my hands so that I do have everything at my fingertips because there's just so much fantastic information. But tell us about, about your how your daughter got involved. Well, in terms of her PCOS, she realized that she had PCOS when she couldn't get pregnant and her periods were somewhat irregular. And she's a lean PCOS, so she was very thin, but she was always battling acne. She, she was definitely my offspring because uh, I'm also one of the lean PCOS. And so she thought she was going to have to go on a fertility drug like Clomid, but together we worked on her diet and we changed some of her different lifestyle things. And she got pregnant naturally, and, um, but had some complications, as is so common with women with PCOS, and delivered prematurely and had a big baby, her second baby, who's her, her son, my little adorable grandson. Um, he weighed well over nine pounds. And she weighed, when she was born to me, she weighed nine pounds. 
pounds and my biggest daughter weighed almost nine and a half pounds and and we're not big people we didn't eat tons of food and you know so clearly there's an insulin issue here and my dad was a diabetic at a very young age for no apparent reason because he was slim so you know there clearly is a familial thing and and fathers can also be related to the whole PCOS picture. We're just starting to understand how that all works. But in terms of writing my book, I have been wanting her to write with me. She's a, a brilliant woman and she's a Stanford grad. She's won all kinds of awards. And initially she was a teacher and she worked in Palo Alto in the school district. And then she moved into developing educational toys for um, kids. And then she went into motherhood. And so she took some time off to have her two beautiful kids. And then she was ready to get back into the workforce. And it was very challenging because she really wanted to be a full-time mother. And maybe that was a little in reaction to my not being a full-time mother. But, you know, she saw the, the good and the bad of having a working mom. And she wanted to be there for her kids. And also uh, her first, my granddaughter, you know, had a few challenges that she's worked through and she's done fabulously. And, but she wanted to be there. She didn't really, and having childcare intermittently with the way she was working as a consultant was really challenging. So finally, I was able to convince her because she's a wonderful writer. And I said, please, you know, write, become a book writer. So I sent her to a wonderful course at Harvard University on becoming a medical book writer and she loved it. And so now she is my co-writer. So, um, because I, first of all, I need someone sort of putting the fire under my feet to, to get this done. <laughs> and she um, is very, very responsible. She worked as a product manager when she was at the toy company. She's very organized, much more so than me. And so together, we were able to put the book together. And she's now, this is her new career. She is a professional book writer. And we're going to be hopefully putting out books on a regular basis. Oh, well, it really is a, a fabulous book. And I wanted to, for you to sort of jump into how you frame PCOS um, in, in the book. You, you really talk about how it isn't a disease. And, you know, we, you know, yes, we know it's a syndrome. But tell us, you know, how, like, how do you frame it for us in the book? It's, I love it. It's very powerful. Okay. So we women with PCOS, we're very special. We're, we're actually winners in the big picture of life. If you look over the thousands of years of, of humans being on earth. So if you go back, we know that every, we've learned a lot about genetics. So we know that different people have different types of single nucleotide polymorphisms. We have variations in our genes. and so. It's not just about the genes you have, it's also how they become expressed. And the expression of genes relates to the environment. So if we go back into prehistoric times, when we had an environment where everything was organic, everything was natural, you lived with the light, we lived with the rhythm of the earth, the circadian rhythm, the rotation of the earth. So during the day, we were active, at night, we would go to sleep, we would get up with the sun, we'd go to, you know, down to sleep when the lights got dark and maybe we had a fire, but that was about it. We certainly didn't have computer screens and televisions. So it was very much living within our universe, our natural universe. And at that time, there were some women, and 
that's what PCOS women are, who had a certain genetic variant that did not permit them to turn testosterone into estrogen quite as efficiently as some other women. But it wasn't a real detriment. It was just a very mild variation. So what they ended up with was maybe slightly reduced fertility, but just mildly reduced. They were still fertile. So maybe instead of having nine children, they would have five and they would have time to raise them. They could nurse them longer. They had a little bit of mild built-in birth control so that they didn't have as many children. And of course, women died during childbirth and children did not survive as well if they were one of more, more children and the mother didn't have as much time to spend with each child. So it was actually a survival advantage for their children and for themselves. So women with PCOS could help populate the world with more children with PCOS, their daughters, because they would carry some of these genes from the mom. So what were some of the good things in addition to having a little bit of built-in birth control? Well, they had a little higher level of testosterone. Well, it turns out that having a little bit of testosterone in the extra department is actually extra good. So testosterone is a hormone that all women have and it has very, very important functions. In men, of course, we know that testosterone makes them big and muscular, with stronger bones, and it actually has brain effects as well. It has effects throughout the entire body. So women who have a little extra testosterone tend to be a little bit more muscular, stronger, and then in terms of the emotions or the brain effects, they tend to be maybe a little bit bolder, maybe braver, and just more capable of exploration. I also think that, and this is just my observation, working with so many women with PCOS, I think we are more highly sensitive, like our nervous systems are like tuned up a little bit more. So maybe like back in those, um, you know, paleo days, um, you know, we were more attuned to danger and or, um, you know, incoming um, yeah, d danger or threats. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think so too. I think that there's something that nature created to have men naturally be a little bit more protector oriented and more attuned to potential dangers. And I think that gets built into the women who have PCOS as well. So in their natural state, we'll say without the, the new new, um, we'll say, harms that have come from our society, the way things have changed, that women with PCOS had many, many advantages. So they were strong, they were beautiful, they were fertile, and they were wise, and they were energetic and strong. So if there were wonderful things about being a PCOS woman. Of course, nobody called it that then. They were just strong women, maybe a little bit more dominant in their, in their clan, in their society. So now things, of course, have changed, and, and we can get into that, why PCOS is sort of turned on its head, how you can take something that is wonderful and a survival advantage and then turn it into a syndrome. Um, you know, I also re remember reading um, Dr. Aziz put together um, kind of a, a report paper about PCOS being an ancient disorder and the the insulin issues too can were sort of able to help us in times of famine 
Um, but now, of course, we don't have famine. And, and I want you to sort of explain how modern life has um, kind of made these hormones sort of go awry and why so many of us are dealing with really the, these extreme symptoms of PCOS. Yeah, well, absolutely. Having a little bit of insulin resistance, what does that mean? Well, insulin is a hormone that is very much about promoting the production and storage of fat. So think about that in ancient times when food was not always available. It was very important for women to have some extra fat storage. In fact, we know that in general terms, women tend to have more body fat than males. Is women have to be able to take care of their babies. They have to be able to withstand the you know, the rigors of being pregnant and all the demands of that. So that's why pregnancy itself is like a stress test for women. Pregnancy is an inherently insulin resistant kind of, uh, of a state of being because women who are pregnant, they need to put on fat and store it so that they can then be able to take care of their babies and themselves. So women who have PCOS would have a little bit if in the natural state, we'll say, a little bit of extra insulin resistance, which would allow them to be a little bit more fat storage oriented. And that would be a survival advantage, exactly. So, I mean, it's amazing how we can take all these things and actually pick them apart and see all the pluses, and then we can turn it around and see how we can take these really wonderful attributes and turn them into harmful, healthy, um, harmful to our health types of situations. So in your book, you talk about how um, it, we want to return to sort of this, this mild variant of PCOS that maybe our great-grandmothers had, you know, if we, if we indeed inherited our PCOS, which I think I, I, I can look at my great-grandmother and probably she only had one child. Um, she was, you know, pretty, had a lot of androgenic alopecia. <laughs> Um, she had carried a lot of weight around her middle. You know, I, my, my, it's funny because my daughter's doing a, a report on um, Ellis Island and immigration, and we're using my great-grandmother as sort of the example, so I was looking at all the old pictures of her. But anyway, like how can we return to sort of that mild variant of our great-grandmothers, um, you know, and, and be strong and powerful and not feel so... Um, you know, afflicted by our PCOS symptoms? Well, it's, it's definitely a challenge in the world that we all live in. So we have to think about what were the conditions that our wonderful women ancestors lived in and that enabled them to have the PCOS genes work to their advantage. Well, they lived in a world where they saw the sun they had activity, they ate natural food, and they didn't eat all the time. They did not eat around the clock. And sometimes they didn't eat at all because there was no food available. So we have to try to think what were the conditions that our women ancestors lived in that enabled them to be healthy. And these genes were actually an advantage. So we have to try to turn our world back into that ancient wonderful natural world, which is, like I said, not an easy thing to do. So we have to work hard to get back that natural kind of environment. So we have to look at our sleep habits. We have to look at our eating habits, both not just what we eat, which is critically important, but when we eat and when we don't eat. And then, of course, add in fitness, and we have to look at stress. So we have to look at all these different components that make up the life environment. And then we have to try to return to that sort of prehistoric natural state. So we have to look at 
getting the light at the proper time of day, eating during the day, never eating at night, not eating snacks, trying to eat more in the morning the way people would naturally, trying to eat sometime between when you get up and a couple hours after, trying to eat a big meal for breakfast instead of what traditional people in our day now tend to do, which is skip breakfast altogether. And there's a lot of sort of um, misunderstandings about this whole concept of fasting, which I try to clarify as well. So it's not easy, but we have to try to restore our lifestyles to that of our women ancestors. So you really break this all down in your book. You, know, you talk about um, the a diet and exercise and lifestyle. But I would love in the time that we have together uh, to talk more about the light and the circadian rhythm connection and how we can kind of hack sort of, uh, you know, getting the right light at the right time of day. Because um, I think that that can really make a profound shift. And, and, you know, you write about that in your book as well. Right. So it turns out that we humans, actually every life form on earth, every single life form has built into it clock genes. So we are oriented to the planet that we live on, which has a 24 hour rotation. And so we have the night and we have the day and our bodies are metabolically different. So we have like totally different bodies at night and at, in the day. And during the day, our bodies are metabolically active. And at night, everything kind of goes into a totally different state. Our immune system is very different between the day and night. And our bodies are timed. We have a master clock in our brain that sits atop the optic nerve so it can sense light and dark. And it also has some degree of sensing nutrition, nutrient sensors, but primarily light and dark. That's the dominant um, triggers to setting our master clock is light and dark. And then we have these peripheral clocks. So the different cells of our body, like cells in our, in our liver, for example, cells in our heart, all the different cells of our body have clock genes. And they are getting messages from the master clock that sits in the brain and the hypothalamus atop the optic nerve. And they also can get signals from the gut from our microbiome, the little bacteria that live in there, they also have clocks. So you can, they also have the clocks that set the liver. So the light though, which goes into the master clock, which senses whether it's day or night, light or dark, that is like, the, that's why they call it the master clock, because it really sets the beat, like the conductor in front of the orchestra. So it's like in women with PCOS, because it turns out that their master clock drifts. It doesn't stay on the beat. So it's a little bit like your conductor is there, but he's a little bit impaired. Maybe he had a little too much to drink, you know? So he's just a little off the beat. So all the instruments are a little bit off the beat. They may be off a measure or a few notes. So we can help get our master clock back into the right beat by helping it to see light and dark and just sort of, it just sort of drills it in. Okay, now recognize it's daytime master clock. And so we can do that by waking up in the morning to really bright light. So that is a major trigger to setting that clock. Every day, even in people who don't have PCOS, that it drifts, they, they call it like drifting. And then you have to, the word is entrained. You've got to like get it back on the beat every morning. That's why light is so important. And we know, for example, people who live in areas where it doesn't get light for 
much of the day, like in the northern climes, like say northern Sweden and so on. There's very high rates of depression because it turns out that everything links to the master clock, metabolic health, mood health, everything, immune health, everything links to the master clock. We now know that the rhythm of our body sets the beat for everything, for all the functions. So seeing bright light in the morning is so critical to setting that master clock and getting it right on the beat. But some of us don't live where I live, which is sunny, usually, Southern California, where I could just open up the blinds and I can, you know, step outside and the bright sun is right there. A lot of us don't, don't have that. Or we get up when it's dark still, you know, especially different times of the year. So for that, we can have um, different like dawn stimul simulators. And I think you were telling me that you have one of them, which has made me so excited that you were really so tuned into this, even ahead of my book. And oh, so I, I know. I was so happy to see that you um, mentioned it in the book. Yeah, I use the Philips Light Dawn Simulator. And it's a little pricey. I think it cost me about $150. But honestly, it's one of the best like gifts I've given myself, um, especially living up here in New Hampshire. And, you know, I wake up at, at 5.45 in the morning and it's dark until, in the you know, depths of winter until 7, after 7. So, you know, having that um, has made a huge difference uh, in the quality of my life. I mean, it just makes me feel better in the morning. Oh, that's great. Well, you're a perfect end of one, a perfect example of how getting that proper light into your eyes and and of course in a natural situation you wouldn't have the light suddenly going from dark to bright right so that's what i love about the gradual light so for myself what i do is because i'm in sunny south sunny southern california where i can and i usually don't get up as early as you do i get up a little bit later so usually the light is already there the sun is up when i get up in the morning typically and so I use a, um, a, ma a mask, a sleep mask, because I cannot get, that's the other thing, is that when it's night, it's supposed to be really dark. And I can't tell you how many of my patients tell me they go to bed with the television on. It's like, there's so many, they say, well, I turned the volume down. It's like, no, the light, oh my gosh, they don't, they don't realize it. Or they have lights, like from all kinds of electronic devices all over, or they have bright street lights out outside their window, and they, the blinds are not really blackout or they have cracks all over the place. And, and there's so much ambient light. And in my bedroom, I have too much ambient light myself. So I found that using a sleep mask has been wonderful. It has dramatically improved the quality of my sleep. We know that even a little bit of light filtering through your eyelids at night can suppress your proper melatonin production, even yeah. though you're sleeping. And, and melatonin is critical it's a hormone that's critical for so many things, not just for sleep, but it's a potent antioxidant. We know that we need that. And women with PCOS have you know, whole issues with melatonin. Yeah, and you go into detail about that in your book um, and, and really give some, some really sound recommendations uh, because melatonin is not something that you want to um, you know, take, well, large amounts of. And, but I guess I just want to leave it that, you know, I love your recommendations in your book. Oh, well, thanks. And so... For me, what I do, and other people can do it too, is I wake up and then I take, I keep my eyes closed and I take off my sleep mask and then I let the ambient light filter through. So it's my own dawn simulator of sorts, right? So I just take it and then the light starts coming through my eyes and I wait about 15 minutes as the light, you know, is really kind of filtering in and then I 
open up my eyes, you know, so I don't go from pitch black into suddenly bright light, but we have to try to make it as natural as we can, get back to that caveman life. You know, they've talked about getting back to to nature and know that people who go camping and just go camping for a weekend and sleep outside under the stars and, and get up with the sun in just one weekend of outdoor camping tremendously improve their circadian rhythm. It's really fascinating how it wants to get back in order. It really wants to get fixed. And we can help it so much by either going out camping and living outside, or we can do these simulator types of events in our own bedroom. One thing that uh, I I found, especially uh, running my Jumpstart program, is that Shift work is very difficult on women with PCOS. I mean, I think it's difficult in general, um, but I my recommendation now is if you can get out of shift work, if you have PCOS, you really have to do it. And and I was um, kind of pleasantly pleasantly surprised to see that that was sort of your conclusion as well. Oh, yes. And I myself lived a very challenging lifestyle for many, many decades. Actually, I did. I practiced obstetrics, which I loved. I loved taking care of pregnant women and delivering their babies. But pregnant women have their babies very often in the early morning hours and they labor through the night. And I didn't understand it at the time. At first, I thought, well, this is just a wives' tale, right? You know, that people go into labor at night. But of course, it isn't. Once you understand the critical nature of the circadian rhythm, it's all about survival. It's about living to maximize, you know, our ability to survive and to reproduce and to have successful reproduction. So you wouldn't want someone laboring in the middle of the day, if we could avoid it, when you're possible prey to every kind of wild animal out there. And what are you going to do if you're in the middle of labor? Get up and run away. It's kind of, you're, you're so at risk. You're so vulnerable when you're in labor. So nature arranged it through evolution that we would labor most commonly in nature during the night under the cloak of darkness and the safety of the darkness and then deliver as the sun would rise and then we would be able to take our babies and move to someplace safer and and be able to potentially be alert at least you know use our PCOS wisdom so that we could actually tell when we're in danger which we can't really do when we're in the middle of labor and pushing so I think nature did that for us, but on the other hand, as an obstetrician, I had to live living a life of tremendous amounts of shift work. And it really took a toll on me. And absolutely, it's harmful and challenging for every person. And we have about one third of our population now that works at times of the day, basically at night, when we should really be sleeping and resting. And it's really a challenge because we have this 24 hour society. But you have to think about yourself. I mean, everyone wants to do the right thing for the world and for our community, but you have to first do the right thing for yourself. And as women with PCOS, we inherently live a life of jet lag. We are, because of our innate problems with endocrine disruptors that are altering the way our estrogen receptors are working, and that is very critical to the function of the master clock we basically are programmed to be jet lagged. And that is a huge problem. So recognizing that we have this sort of built in handicap in terms of our circadian rhythm, it's that much more important that we try not to work at night. We try to avoid shift work. I'm so glad you brought that up, Amy, because I, I know it's hard for people to have different careers and you can't just quit your job, but think about how you can possibly transition into a daytime job. 
The, the other thing that I wanted to bring up that you mentioned in your book is how birth control um, and being on hormonal birth control, which so many women with PCOS are, really changes the way that your body responds to light. And we, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk about sleep, which you go into detail in your book, but it also changes the way you sleep. And, you know, those are just two, you know, I'm not, uh, it's, it's not that I'm anti-pill for everyone with PCOS. I just want women to have informed consent when they decide to go and take the pill. So I had to point those two things out. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit more. Well, I'm so glad you, that you brought that up because it is the conventional approach. I mean, it is totally embedded into the minds of every OBGYN. Pretty much I've come across an endocrinologist that the primary treatment for women with PCOS is first and foremost, put them on the birth control pill. And they do talk about it as hormonal contraception. And here is where I have to say, there is no hormone that is present in a birth control pill. I know that seems to go against the wisdom of, well, they're, they're, they're hormones. No, they are not hormones. If you look at the ingredients of a birth control pill, the pretend, it's not, I hate to find a word, we don't have a real good word for it, so I'm gonna say the pretend estrogen that's in a birth control pill is ethanol estradiol. That is not estradiol. Notice they changed the name. It's ethanol estradiol. It would be like strawberry jelly beans. Now, strawberry jelly beans have the That's word strawberry. <laughs> not a strawberry. It's a jelly bean. Right. So their birth control pills, their prime directive is to not let women have natural hormones. And so if you go to the toxicology center, on the um, National Institutes of Health website, the toxicology site, it lists ethanol estradiol as what it is, an endocrine disruptor. Environmental scientists are up in arms about the fact that birth control pill chemicals, these uh, pretend hormones, are getting out into the, the water supply. Our water treatment plants don't get them out. They weren't designed for that. They were designed to kill bacteria and not get rid of pharmaceuticals. And this stuff is getting into lakes and rivers and it's altering the function of all the wildlife. And they call it what it is. They call it spade a spade. They call the endocrine disruptors, endocrine disruptors. They call ethanol estradiol an endocrine disruptor in all of their scientific literature. So women and the other thing, the pretend progesterone, they're not progesterone. They are some variant of some other chemical that can bind to progesterone receptors, but they also bind to other receptors. They may bind to other hormone receptors like testosterone, aldosterone, and do varying things. So when you talk about an endocrine disruptor, you're talking about a chemical that can do anything to the natural function of our hormones. So it can affect the production, the distribution, the degradation, the elimination. So the receptor function. So really any aspect of hormonal function can be changed by these endocrine disruptors. So that means everything in the female body is going to be altered in some way when you take away your natural hormones, because your ovaries won't make any, when you go on the birth control pill. And it turns out that estrogen, of course, every hormone has so many different functions. But if we just look at estrogen for a moment, estrogen has receptors everywhere all throughout the brain, including on the master clock that regulates our master, our circadian rhythm. But it also is in the gut. It's in the heart. It's in the blood vessels. Estrogen receptors are 
everywhere. And when you take away your real estrogen and you replace it with these chemicals, you're going to have altered effects. And basically, it's going to affect every single function. The, the body makes estrogen on site in different organs. That's how men and children get estrogen, which is so critical to all these different functions in the body. And so some of that is continuing. But the primary source of estrogen in reproductive aged women is from the ovary. And that is completely lost when you're on oral contraceptives, on the birth control pill. And other things, I call them similars, can also have an impact on the production of, of estrogen as well. The implantables and some of the types of IUDs and such can also affect the function of the ovaries as well. And so you'll have altered estrogen. And so we now know that it's not even just, like I said, it's not just about what you eat, it's when you eat. It's not just about having hormones, it's having them in the right rhythms, because it turns out that everything is rhythmic. So estrogen is rhythmic in a lunar sense, so that we have the beautiful 28-day rhythm of the menstrual cycle, which of course women with PCOS often don't have, but the solution isn't to take a bad problem and make it worse by taking away any sense of rhythm that you have. And then there's also the circadian rhythm. Estrogen also has a circadian rhythm as well. You have more estrogen production typically in the morning than you do later in the day. So these, these so, and there's ultradian rhythm that comes out in pulses. It's these beautiful rhythms throughout the female body when it's functioning normally. And all of those things are completely lost when you go on birth control pills. So my analogy to giving birth control pills is like you have a wall and it's filled with termites and mold, but it's such a problem and so expensive to actually try to fix the wall. So you get some really pretty wallpaper and you just cover it up and you say, look, the wall looks great. Everything's fine, right? But you know there's going to be a payday down the road, right? Because the termites and mold just keep going. And when you take women with PCOS and you give them birth control pills, sometimes short term, you get improvement in symptoms. That is true. I can never deny that because it's like the pretty wallpaper. It does cover up the problem. But Something is happening in the body. Like if you're young and you go on birth control pills, you're going to lose your beautiful rhythms. And, you're going to, and by losing your rhythms, you affect things that are already in trouble with PCOS, like sleep, like mood. All these things can actually get worse. And we know that women, some women, especially younger women, when they go on birth control pills, they have exacerbation of depression, which is also often very commonly present in women with PCOS. It even can increase suicidal tendencies. So there are serious things that have to be watched if you even use birth control pills short term. The other thing that doesn't get talked about is how all of these things link together. So for example, bone is, is growing in young women and you don't get the proper bone development for life. And bone is also a metabolically active tissue. So you're affecting the gut microbiome, you're affecting your circadian clock and you're affecting your sleep, you're affecting your mood. So, and you're not dealing with the underlying problems to resolve them, you're just covering it up with pretty wallpaper that sometimes will work for a certain amount of time, but ultimately you're not addressing the real issues that, that women with PCOS need to deal with and should deal with. Mm. Well, in your book, um, PCOS, um, I want to get the, the um, you, you tell me the name of it. It's SOS, PCOS, PCOS. Oh, so close. PCOS. I'm sorry. I know. It's a lot of letters. PCOS, SOS. Okay. But it really does address, you know, so many of the issues in, in, in a very eloquent way. 
And I think the last um, chapter of the book is kind of a treat because you sort of um, tease some of the exciting developments over the horizon, possibly, for PCOS. Um, you know, maybe you could just tease a few of those uh, as we close the podcast. Well, I don't want to give too much away, yeah. but um, I, I, want to, I want to just tell people about something that actually isn't in the book, but then I'll go back, is that I am now in a, re, a new research study that's just getting started with a group actually in Milan that's connected to the Longevity Institute at USC. And we're going to be doing research on fasting. I know we didn't really get the chance to talk about fasting too much, but we're going to be looking at the fasting mimicking diet that is um, a beautiful way of doing fasting without actually having to take the food out of your diet. And that is you eat for five days, but your body thinks you actually just drank water, water fasted for four days. And the thing about fasting is that it's a reboot to your gut microbiome and your circadian master clock. So the research, I think, on doing intermittent fasting is really going to be um, a, a breakthrough for women with PCOS. So I want to have everyone stay tuned on, mm -hmm. on that. And uh, really, um, I think that working with the circadian rhythm is going to be so key to helping the women with PCOS all around the globe. Yeah, I mean, in, and in your book, there's a lot of in, information about fasting and different ways to fast. So I, I just think that it's such a great tool for your PCOS toolbox. Um, pick up a copy of Dr. Gersh's book. And, you know, thank you so much for today. I know you're such a busy lady. Um, you have so many things going on. But thank you to you and your daughter for taking the time to write, write this book. I am so grateful. And I know that that so many PCOS divas will be grateful to. Well, I am so pleased that it took us a while. We finally got the book out, and now we can share all of our personal experiences. And, and I know that um, you, you saw that we have, like, hundreds of references. I'm very, very into evidence-based medicine. So everything that we presented is based on real, hardcore evidence-based medicine and research, published research. And so um, I hope everyone will be able to get a hold of it and really uh, integrate a lot of the recommendations into their lifestyle so that they too can restore their happiness. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. I mean, it really is about evidence-based um, research and recommendations, and, and that's what you provide. And, you know, if you've enjoyed this podcast with Dr. Felice, um, please check out those other two podcasts. And she's also been a tremendous guest blogger for PCOS Diva. She wrote a recent wonderful article about the connection between um, the pill and breast cancer. Um, so definitely take a look at that and, and some of the other articles she's written on gut biome um, and circadian rhythm. Um, you're just a blessing to me, Dr. Felice, and, and just so glad that you joined us today and congrats on your new book. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. And thank you to everyone listening, and I look forward to being with you again soon. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. 
And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at PCUSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.